0: official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. Good evening, everyone. My name is Nick. And I'm Connor. And today we have the great pleasure of interviewing a second-year master's student of biology, Bonica Fleer. Thank you for being here, Bonica.
1: Hi. Thanks. Nice to be here.
0: So why don't you just uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Like, what sort of things do you do? And uh, what's sort of your interest in biology? I mean, that's a huge field.
1: So, uh, well, I'm currently working in Graham Thompson's lab on um, the uh, theoretical project um, about uh, the evolution of altruism. Um, I've always been really interested in biology and evolutionary theory as a whole, so I've just been kind of working towards that my whole life. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: So altruism, uh, you know, uh, do you mean by altruism sort of like getting someone flowers or, like, just doing nice things? Or is that, like, a specific biological term?
1: So, yeah, um, there's a lot of people use altruism in terms of uh, the behavior in humans. What I study is actually altruism in eusocial insects um, and just biological altruism as a whole. Um, and that is essentially means um, a behavior that causes an individual to uh, lo- lose their personal fitness and convey fitness to another individual so they would have um less offspring and uh convey a fitness benefit to some social partner
2: so i'm interested in you talking about working with these insects in your lab um do you do you work kind of directly with insects or what does your kind of day-to-day lab work look like
1: um so my lab is currently um holding a colony of termites uh as well as working on um Building a, uh, I believe, a few colonies of bees. But my cool. personal work uh, is actually theoretical, um, so all of my results and my data and all of that is entirely consisted of theoretical and mathematical modeling work. Um, I don't use, I don't personally get to touch uh, any of those specimens that my lab mates get to work with. <laughs> <Unfortunately>. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs>
0: might say that's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like them. <laughs> So you know, when I when I picture like a a eusocial species or colony, you know, I think of like the one queen, worker ants for example. Um what is it in particular about that kind of society that interests you?
1: Um there's a lot to it. So I've always had a a big interest in eusocial colonies, so like ants, bees, wasps, termites, that sort of thing. Um Right since uh, partway through my undergrad I actually is when I developed the interest um, one of my old professors was working with vespid wasps and how eusocial um, social sort of developed in the first place but I I just find the sort of um, the riddle of how altruistic behavior developed in the first place really fascinating so it's sort of counter to what you would expect Based on you know natural selection, Darwinian natural natural selection, um, because individuals are not reproducing, they're helping another individual. Um, so it's sort of the question is sort of like, why would a gene like that, um, that causes that sort of behavior, even develop and evolve in the first place? Mm.
0: So, are, so are I guess like the the individuals who aren't like contributing to the gene pool are like the workers.
1: Yeah. So um, workers are. Uh, workers in a eusocial colony of um, any sort exhibit altruistic behavior, so they won't reproduce in most species, um, or they re- reproduce very little. And instead, all of the um, the job, you could say, of reproducing goes to the queen, and you could call it the king, the drone, depending on the species.
2: Now, I guess they, they can reproduce. The workers, I guess, could reproduce. It's not like there's some genetic... Um, aspect that neuters them or how does how does that work?
1: Yeah, so actually in some species it does. They are okay. essentially their ovaries shrivel up and they're completely useless. Um, in other species, it's more of a behavioral dominance. Um, most a lot of the time there is a sort of physical component that either reduces or completely eliminates their ability to reproduce. Um, but in other species, um, they are capable, they're just less likely to. Essentially, in certain species, in haplodiploid species, um, essentially, individuals that lay eggs without, repro- like without having sex, um, their eggs will just develop into males automatically. Mm. Um, so females are only developed when um, they reproduce with a male. So workers will sneakily go off and lay male eggs throughout the colony um, in an attempt to spread their genes. Um, on their own not just through the queen but oftentimes the queen will find those eggs and eat them
0: (laughs) (laughs) Savage That's so brutal (laughs) So
2: they can lay an egg almost the same way a chicken does even though it's not fertilized It's just kind of this
0: Exactly but instead of
1: it just being a yolk like a chicken it turns into a boy
0: (laughs) Whoa So okay so so you're interested in this particular this eusocial colony uh, uh, um, form of sort of um species um and you're interested in this uh, altruistic, I guess um, characteristic about them that mm-hmm. that some of them do not reproduce, whether it's for genetic reasons or just because they don't do it behaviorally. What is it that you like what is it that you study in terms of that altruism?
1: So um there's a bit of a backstory to this. <laughs> it's kind of a long uh, explanation, but, Um, essentially the sort of the history of um, altruistic evolution and the uh, research done on it um, has focused on the concept of how these genes have developed in terms of um, fitness outcomes so basically um, a researcher called Hamilton uh, in 1964, he, W.D. um he developed a mathematical equation which described how uh, a gene that causes this behavior may evolve only if the benefit conveyed from an altruist to their social partner is sufficiently high and the individual behaving altruistically experiences a sufficiently low cost um, with the assumption that both individuals are related. So there needs to be, essentially, two individuals that are related, maybe they could be siblings, for example. Um, One individual needs to behave altruistically, the other individual does not, so we call that egoistically, um, or egoist behavior. And the benefit conveyed from the altruist to the egoist needs to be high enough and the cost needs to be low enough in order for the gene to evolve. So in current eusocial systems, Hamilton's rule sort of explains how um, the workers behaving altruistically makes sense because the queen is producing enough offspring um, with similar genotypes to her workers that it sort of makes up for the workers not reproducing themselves. So essentially the benefit that that the workers convey to the queen is high enough that... Um, the queen reproducing instead of them makes up for uh, them not reproducing themselves. But you'd have to assume because the queen is the mother of these workers, she also has to have these genes because how else would the workers get the genes to develop this behavior? Um, but mm-hmm. that expression pattern, that sort of um, situation is really specific um, in current eusocial social systems, so it's only turned on in Queens but it's turned or turned on in workers rather um, and it's turned off in Queens so Queens don't act altruistically that complex on off switch hasn't really been explored how that mechanism developed in the first place hasn't really been explored in depth Uh, Hamilton really didn't really talk about it he kind of skimmed over it so in essence that's Mm -hmm. what I'm looking at
0: (laughs) so we'll get to the on off switch in just a sec but I, I was wondering if you could sort of help me understand this Egotistic versus altruistic behavior. So, because you said it like let's, you said an example could be siblings, right? So, what would it look like in a human example, like on a just basic level, like if it was me and my sibling, what would it look like to be altruistic, and what would it mean to be egotistic?
1: So, we'll assume that there's no other complexities of human behavior involved. Let's just (laughs) pretend you guys are microbes or something. Yeah. Um, (laughs) if (laughs) You and your full brother, um, let's pretend we have a brother here that that is yours. Um, (laughs) If you were to behave altruistically, you would, um, if it's perfect um, reproductive altruism, you would not reproduce at all yourself, and instead you'd invest your energy in helping your brother to reproduce more. Um, So if you wanted to apply Hamilton's rules to that situation, the genes underlying that behavior. Would only pass on if the benefit you are conveying to your brother is high enough to make up for the lack the lack of offspring that you would be having yourself. Um, so there's a relatedness aspect here where you and your brother have to be well, you and your brother are related. So essentially, that means that you and your brother have a certain probability of sharing that exact same gene for that behavior,
0: which is point five. And yeah, yeah.
1: so in. In, uh, in full siblings, in it would be, I, if we're looking at a specific locus, it would be 0.5. Um, if you're looking at, for example, cousins, it would be 0.25. Um, parent offspring is also 0.5. Um, what's interesting is in uh, certain eusocial insect species, because they're uh, haplodiploid, in which case they have uh, females have two copies of chromosomes, like... Uh, us, we humans do. Um, males only have one copy of each of their chromosome. Siblings in those colonies are actually related by 0.75. They have a relatedness value wow. for their hmm. genes of 0.75, Right. Um, which Hamilton at one point theorized that that may have developed or helped to develop um, altruistic genes in the first place.
0: So when you when you when you say that the um, that uh, a species will become or. Um, it's good to be altruistic when the benefit outweighs the cost. Mm-hmm. Is that benefit, like, more children in total? Like, is that sort of the...
1: Yeah, so you can um, you can consider fitness as essentially... The official consideration of fitness is the number of copies of that gene that is passed on to the next generation, um, but you can basically consider that as a number of offspring, mm. basically. So if... Um, if you pass on like if you had a, an offspring and it was just a clone of yourself basically um, then your fitness would be one because you have one offspring and that's the base way I would measure it okay. um, if in a model or something like that
2: so does, does this almost end up working out the same way almost uh, I guess society wise a division of labor works out almost where we leave all of the baby making and reproducing to the queen because she is good at it and you know we we could do it ourselves but maybe we have better things to do than 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 make the make offspring sort of situation
1: yeah so it's it's actually really similar to that um it it is essentially a division of reproductive and non-reproductive labor so right. workers you know gather food and they, they're in some species, they have specific um, soldiers that go out and defend the hive or nest or whatever, what have you. Um, and then queens will uh, just have all the work of reproducing. A lot of these colonies are made up almost entirely of females, and the only males are the drones that go out and mate. And that's essentially, they're just there to mate. That's yeah. all they do, and then they're done. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so what you're looking at then is a difference in or the assumption we make is that uh this expression of the given gene has to be conditional it 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 can't be it can't be on all the time not everybody is giving up their ability to produce because everybody would be dead right (laughs) like there would be no babies being made there would be no next generation if nobody was producing so it's it's the same gene on sometimes and off sometimes, or off other times. Um, what is the ratio of on versus off? I guess on only in the queen, and then off in everyone else.
1: Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say there's necessarily a set ratio. It depends on the species, but most of the time there is a sort of complex genetic genetic mechanism that causes um, this behavior or this these genes you could say to be quote unquote on or off. Um, So, for example, in uh, honeybees, there is something called royal jelly, which when in workers it is fed, or to workers it's fed uh, for, I believe, three days during their development. Um, But when a queen or you could say a princess, basically an individual that will develop into a queen, is chosen, she is fed uh, royal honey for much longer. Mm. Um, And that is the trigger for her... um, essentially, uh, you could say the trigger that causes the altruistic genes to not develop right. um, or not to be expressed rather. So um, in other, in all other cases though, when a worker is fed royal jelly for the shorter period of time, they just automatically develop into a worker. Hmm. Um, and it depends on, there's some species where it's sort of a hormonal trigger um, or some sort of environmental factor. It entirely depends on what species you're looking at.
0: Wow. That's fascinating. So in your research are you looking at these triggers
1: um not really so essentially um i'm not looking at a specific trigger what i'm trying to look at is the behavior as a whole um and my research is aiming at um developing a model that illustrates how this on off switch may have developed um in any situation so i want it to be really broad so that it could apply to bees, w- um, termites, ants, or even naked mole rats, which are also yes. exhibiting altruistic behavior. I was behavior. wondering <laughs> if <laughs> you were going to mention those,
2: yes. They are, they're altruists as well, huh? Yeah, yeah
1: so they, well, they have, uh, yeah, they have what some argue is a eusocial society. Um, there's a bit of a semantical error in the literature, not semantical error, sem- semantical argument in the literature about it because they, people don't want to call them per actually use social but yeah they they can they fulfill a lot of the boxes for mm-hmm. a eusocial colony huh.
0: so um, in your research to sort of like uh, I guess like uh, quantify or like qualify this um, how do you do that like how do you go about looking at this uh, model
1: um, so it's a really complicated process um, but basically very very broadly what I have to do is think about what scenario what is the simplest scenario I want to model to just to start just to develop this concept um, try and essentially translate that life scenario into numbers
0: so it's a mathematical model
1: it is a mathematical model so for example it's not just numbers strictly so you can pick variables so for benefit you would just write B Um, for Uh, fitness, you, you can set a fitness. So for my model, I have set a a base fitness, you know, with no altruism or anything else involved, just an egoist on their own, their base fitness. I set it as one for my first model. Mm -hmm. Um, you also have to take into consideration, like, do you want the individuals to be, do you want certain behaviors involved or what have you? So to start, I just made it very simple. I made it haploid. So they only have one copy of each gene. I made it so that they are asexual, so individuals just have their offspring are basically perfect clones, so I don't have to worry about, like, you know, a dominance or recessiveness Mm -hmm. of genes Mm -hmm. or um, any sort of transmission bias, so there's no mutation involved, um, that sort of thing. And I uh, just don't, I just try and make it as simple as feasibly possible um, and convert that into numbers as best I can.
0: (laughs) Got it. And then, so what are the, um, I guess, what are the different sort of uh, variables that can change in your model? And then uh, what does the model sort of spit out at the end, I guess? (laughs) (laughs)
1: So um, I start, what I ended up using is something called the price equation, which just simply describes the change in the frequency of a gene from a parent generation to the offspring generation. Um, And to make it really simple, I'm not going to take sort of a colony or anything like that. That's way too many individuals. I'm just sticking to two. (laughs) So the two individuals can carry either the gene or the allele, rather, for altruism or the allele for egoism, um, which is basically they just maintain, you know, non-social behavior. And um, they can behave either altruistically or egoistically. Um, And so... I sort of make an assumption that at some point individuals interact in a population and they'll behave one way or another depending on their genotype and depending on um, the scenario so in a conditional model it would be conditional on the fact that their partner is also a carrier of the allele um, and is not themselves behaving altruistically and then I just write out okay so if an A carrier is paired with an E carrier and the A carrier behaves altruistically, they will give a benefit to the E carrier. And so the E carrier will get a benefit of 1 plus B. Um, And then, basically, I just set different frequencies to each of those different types of interactions. So A and A, A and E, and E and E. Um, And then write out the fitness outcomes for each of those types of interactions for each individual. And what I can do is use those numbers to estimate um how many offspring with the a allele will be produced in the next generation
2: so so just to go through really quickly i guess the the difference is being a and a means both are trying to be altruistic and neither will end up reproducing with each other and that's kind of an issue or
1: sort of so um the alleles and the behaviors have to be differentiated so Mm -hmm. Depending on what I'm trying to model, so if I'm modeling unconditional expression, so anytime an individual is carrying the allele, they behave altruistically, Right. then um, it would be an A individual always behaves altruistically, so A and A would be altruist, altruist. But if I have a conditional model where they only behave altruistically when paired with another carrier who is not behaving altruistically, then I would have an A and A carrier together where one individual would behave altruistically and the other would behave egoistically.
2: Right. And that that's m- much more ideal fitness-wise. Yeah.
1: So ideally for an, an allele for altruism to evolve or just to rather increase in frequency and outcompete a non-social counterpart, um, the best way to go about it is if one individual is acting like an altruist and the other individual is acting like an egoist because then the benefit can be conveyed and... You know, the egoist can produce more offspring.
2: Right, so. and that has to also ideally be better than two egoists just both being selfish together.
1: Yeah, so that sort of goes back to Hamilton's rule, where the benefit conveyed from um, one individual to the other has to outweigh the cost experienced by the individual behaving altruistically.
0: Right, and is that Is that an assumption you're making in the model?
1: Yeah, so I'm essentially assuming Hamilton's rule is correct. Got it but that's already been sort of confirmed and Mm -hmm. not really confirmed per se because you don't really confirm things in science but supported very highly in a lot of follow-up research since Hamilton wrote that Mm -hmm. model
2: I guess it's an interesting product model where you're taking instead of testing to see whether or not something's true we've just noticed this thing is true and it seems to contradict some fundamental law so it's almost like how do we resolve this apparent contradiction in how evolution works?
1: Yeah, so that's that's what's really cool about this work is, um, so Hamilton developed, the, the sort of colloquial term for Hamilton's um, work is kin selection theory, um, where an individual um, is, some sort of trait or gene is um, being passed down or being selected for, not just because of the individual who's carrying it, Um, and their behavior, but also because of the behaviors and genotypes of the individuals around it. So this work is really cool because it's not just explaining natural selection, like survival of the fittest kind of thing. It's also talking about how um, the behaviors and um, influences of the social context around an individual also influences whether their genes um, get passed on efficiently to the next generation. Mm
0: -hmm. So I guess what's sort of the, what are you sort of hoping to find? Like what's your, I guess, hypothesis or like um, what's sort of the um, sort of conclusion that you're aiming to find that hasn't been, that's not known before?
1: So um, what I'm really interested essentially is looking at... Well, the title of my thesis ha- talks about it's the uh, genetical evolution of altruism um, and the importance of gene responsiveness uh, in changing social environments. So I'm basically looking to find how socially responsive do genes for this type of behavior have to be in order for them to outcompete a non-social gene? So basically, how did this complex behavior mechanism? Um, this weird behavior that doesn't really follow natural selection as we know it. Um, how did that even develop and why was it more beneficial than a non-social gene? So it's just sort of, like you say, it's a bit like a riddle that's sort of fun to try and solve.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So by how socially responsive, um, that means, uh, a maximum social responsiveness would just be you always know whether or not your partner is an altruist or an egoist sort of situation.
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, my work, it, when I develop my later models, I'm essentially going to work on making it such that individuals aren't always capable of recognizing um, the genotype of their social partner. And um, sort of making it so that there may be cases where an individual behaves altruistically when they should be behaving egoistically um, or vice versa.
0: Right. This is fascinating. What got you into this, um, like, very sort of specialized work?
1: Uh, so I, I've always really loved evolution in general. I actually um, did an undergrad thesis in paleontology because oh, nice. I cool. really love dinosaurs. <laughs> um, and... The The older I got and the more I learned about evolution, the more fascinated I became in the different mechanisms involved because, again, it's just like one riddle after the next, and it's such a complicated system because there's so many different aspects of um, the individual's behavior and their, their kin's behavior and their society as a whole, the population, all the behaviors involved in evolution, I just find... All of those different aspects of evolution really, really fascinating.
0: And so the, this sort of eusocial group or, or species, I guess they sort of present a unique example of evolution.
1: Yeah, so it's really unique compared to, to, you know, more standard concepts of just, you know, an individual being able to find food better than others or something mm-hmm. like that. I just, I don't know, It it's it's just such a cool mystery that Mm -hmm. I get to sort of pull apart.
0: And what are you sort of planning to do next? Like what's sort of your uh, dreams to look at evolution?
1: Honestly, um, I'm all over the place. I've, I've worked in a bunch of different fields, so I'm open to a variety of different types of work. Um, Biology as a whole is really fascinating to me, so I may end up developing um, theory work further. I may end up, working out in the field I don't know I've always wanted to work in Australia that might be fun <laughs> hey.
0: you can probably figure something out there yeah <laughs> evolution of kangaroos yeah
1: yeah, yeah. more I'd, I'd probably prefer the you know creepy crawlies like hey, snakes there and spiders I'm sure there's,
2: there's horrifying termites in
0: Australia probably uh, <laughs> oh They're yes fun. I'm sure yeah so um we've run out of time for questions now so we were wondering if you if anyone on air wants to contact you, is there any way that they can?
1: Uh sure. Um my email address is v so V-F L E A R at dot ca. Um I'm also on most social media, so you know, just look me up, Vonica Fleer.
0: <laughs> All right. And thank you so much for being here. It's been a great pleasure to uh talk to you today.
1: Yeah, no problem. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs>
0: and you have been listening to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. You have been listening to us on CHRW 94.9, and we air every Tuesday at 6, so if you want to catch us on air, that's when you can catch us, but if you miss an episode, no problem. You can also hear episodes at www.gradcast.ca, as well as on our Instagram, our Spotify, uh, where you can listen to old episodes as well. If you'd like to be on an episode, or if you have any questions or concerns, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. And if you'd like to see pictures of our behind the scenes, as well as hear any sort of events we have coming up, you can follow us on social media at Gradcast Radio, on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening, everyone.